Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Very warm welcome to The Process on Headliner Radio. Today I'm chatting to musician, record producer, a multi-platinum award-winning mix engineer, Mike Cave. Uh, welcome to the show, Mike. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you? Good, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I'm all good. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be to be chatting to you today uh right, mate. it's a pleasure to be here good good where are you joining us from mate on this uh i mean it's pretty cool. rain, rainy where i am but uh yeah i'm i'm based in liverpool in the uk lovely okay um, right in the city center so i don't know anyone who knows liverpool will know exactly where i am yeah okay awesome have you always been based up there mike um yeah i have i mean i spent i've spent obviously a lot of time traveling um Particularly when I was doing a lot more production, I was always on the move. So, yeah. um, but as time's gone on, um, I set up the loft studio here in Liverpool about mm-hmm. fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. and um, I, don't, I can't remember the last time I mixed the record anywhere else apart from here. So, okay, um, so that's just I'm, your base well, now, right? Yeah, yeah. It never, it never used to make sense to me to to sort of mix records traveling around. It always seemed completely bonkers, really. You know, yeah. walking into strange rooms that you don't know and trying to finish records yeah. off um so it's quite nice to have a base now where i can trust the room and yeah um, you know get and get stuff delivered uh you know it's quite nice to walk in the next morning and, uh, and finish things off instead of getting kicked out of a studio somewhere yeah. else yeah 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 so what have you what have you been up to recently mate project wise um that you can talk about obviously i understand there might be some things that um that you can't mention yet but yeah what's sort of been keeping you busy lately yeah there's a there's a couple of things that i'm dying to talk about but i, I can't just yet but um i mean obviously the lewis capaldi records done amazingly well yes um and uh i've been working with do you know what actually through covid uh, obviously i was working remote anyway before covid yeah. so i was doing a lot a lot more stuff out of the uk though outside of the uk oh, okay during COVID. um I did an amazing record with this girl from the Faroe Islands called I- Iva, who's phenomenal. Okay. Um, she's the voice of the Last Kingdom for any any Netflix. All um, right, yeah, sure. Yep. And um, uh, I've been working with a guy, a Brooklyn-based artist called Garshi. He's amazing. Okay, he's had two platinum platinum albums in the states now. So fingers crossed that's gonna his next record's gonna do well. So um, how, how did that happen, Mike? Then like you know, being, um, working remotely, how did you get hooked up with some of these international artists? Was it just through sort of word yeah. of mouth? And Do you know what, some of it, it's a combination of word of mouth recommendation and just, just people reaching out. Like Garshi yeah. just reached out to me on Instagram. Okay. Um, yeah. so it is a combination of things really, but I think, and you know, I often, when I have these conversations with like people just coming into the industry about like, you know, how do you get these jobs or how do you stay busy mm. once you, 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 I think the key to it really is is just quality control in everything you're doing. Sure, yeah. Like, just I just approach every job like it's going to be like the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. And and obviously that doesn't always pan out, but if you, if you approach it that way, then it's going to be pretty good, you know. And I think people just hear people once you if you start putting good work out, people get to know, yeah, notice and and get in touch, you know. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, but this is why you know this is why credits are so important as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, this is a lot of the time people just work out who, who you know they hear a record and they like they want to find out who's involved with it and get in touch. But yeah, yeah. for a long time that hasn't really been easy to do. You know, since since the downfall of 
physical product where you, your name is written on the artwork. Yes. Um, it's been difficult, hasn't it, to, to find out who's doing what. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Jackster. Have you, have you come across this Australian company called Jackster? I don't think I have, actually, Mike. So they're a fairly new company, like a few years old, and what their their mission is to basically for, form a, a database of, of, um, of records and who's involved in those records. Okay. So they've teamed up with the, the all the major labels and and a lot of the independents now as well mm. and tapped into their databases to make it pretty conclusive actually um that's pretty cool yeah. it's handy for you know if you hear a record and you go do you know what who's mixed that i want i want to hire them yeah and um, you just type that record into jackster and, and uh it just pops up with the full credits that's pretty cool pretty, yeah it's really good so i think we've needed that for a while and these are the sorts of things that really help us get more work you know yeah for sure and i suppose it's it all feeds into the kind of um social media culture of of everyone being able to kind of put themselves out there and, and be a lot more discoverable so to speak um yeah, yeah yeah totally and it's good for seeking out you know you know if you do hear a record that you love you can find out who's involved and then look at what else they've been doing as well so yeah, it's a good yeah. form of like discovery you know working out yeah yeah for uh, sure for sure and what I mean, before we talk about some of your credits, um, and you've, you mean, you know, you've got some pretty cool ones. I'm just looking at looking at them here. You mentioned um, Lewis Capaldi a minute ago. Um, I want to go back a little bit, Mike, and talk about when you first um, got started in in production and engineering. So I know you worked alongside a bunch of uh, other well known producers at Par Street Studios, which is obviously you know iconic uh, uh, recording studio in Liverpool. Um, yeah. t- tell us a little bit about that sort of time when you was uh, sort of just breaking um, through, I guess. I mean, I guess I'm probably showing my age a little bit here, but I was <laughs> I was um, I, I was lucky enough to come through the sort of traditional route uh, yes. of um, you know coming through the, the through the ranks in a studio as like a tea boy, made lots of cups of tea for yep. people and yep. watched other producers working, and then a tape op, pro tools operator sometimes, um, okay. and then eventually in house engineer, and then started getting asked to mix records and stuff like that awesome. but it took a lot it took probably between seven and ten years of just building that before i could go freelance yes um but um it's you know the, the beauty of that process was just being able to watch great producers make records yeah. and look at not not just the the technical side of things but how they deal with artists how they get great performances out of people mm-hmm you know how they deal with things when they're not going very smoothly all of that yeah. stuff you know it yeah. was like just great to just sit and watch all that going on yeah i can imagine you would have learned a hell of a lot being in in a environment like that definitely. Yeah. yeah it was intense like we were doing you know 18 hour days seven days yeah, a yeah. week yeah. for i don't know well for seven to ten years <laughs> basically yeah, we, had, yeah. we had a few days off so a lot of the time we had like a hotel in the building yeah um, like a little boutique hotel so usually i'd just see if there was a room free every night <laughs> and just jump in the hotel so i didn't leave the building sometimes for weeks on end you know I suppose so you were used to lockdown then when that when that kicked oh in yeah mate i'm the master of uh, quarantine yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, nice nice that so was intense but but yeah. it was i think it was uh, well worth it you know yeah, yeah for sure when was your first um sort of uh, big gig when you when you went freelance uh, what was the sort of for you per, you know personally what was sort of like the breakout moment which kind of started it um, so it was it was a band called the charlatans and yes yes basically what what happened was they 
they'd come into Par Street to do some work on on um on one of the one of their albums, and then I did some engineering on that session. And what happened was they the next record they did, they asked me to go and work with them at their studio. Okay, so that was something that as an as an in house engineer, you you can't really do that. You can't just disappear for a couple of months and mm. then come back and expect your job to still be there. So that was the turning point for me. It was like, okay, I need to take the, this leap of faith now mm. and go freelance or just don't and just stay, stay static in past street. Yeah. So, and it just felt right. It felt like the right moment to do it. Um, and thankfully the, the charlatans manager, Steve Harrison, who was a bit of a legend to me, he, he had a few other great bands as well. So once the charlatans record was finished, he put me onto a few other jobs okay. and, it just went from there, really. So yeah, so, nice. Yeah, uh, we actually spoke to to Tim Burgess uh, not not that long ago. I think it was. Oh, did you? Uh, How is he? Is he all right? Maybe over this over the summer last year. Yeah, it's great. It was um it was a nice interview. I didn't per- personally speak to him myself. One of my one of my colleagues had a, a good chat with him. But yeah, that was um right. it was good. Um, and yeah, I mean, who were you sort of who were you sort of listening to growing up? Um, Mike, would would was it that kind of was it that kind of stuff like? You know. you know what? It was it was such a wide net of music. I was I was really lucky when I was a kid because both my mum and my dad were were obsessed by music and mm. and different types of music. So from my mum's side of things, she introduced me to all the all the soul and funk, yes. um, all the Motown, disco, mm-hmm. reggae, jazz, all all the black music basically. Yeah, um, yeah. And then my dad uh, was into his rock, so he, he he'd be like playing me Led Zeppelin records yeah. and Hendrix, Dylan. Yeah, uh, yeah, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Neil Young, all that. So it, it was just a mass. It, there was music on in the house all the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just started picking up my dad's guitars when I was about eight, mm. and um, went from <laughs> there. Really, yeah, nice, nice. Um, now tell us about um, the loft. You said you. It's been about fifteen years since you since you started yeah. it up. What are you yeah. doing? What are you doing more of there at the moment, Mike? So I know. You're a bit of a dab hand in in a bit of everything, you know, production, mixing, and mastering. Um, yeah. What are you What are you sort of doing doing more of at, at the studio these days? So I'm I'm primarily I wear two hats really. So I, I work as a mixer and I work I run a mastering company called Loft Mastering. Yes. Um, so between the two, I think it's probably like a fifty fifty split, and it does vary from time to time. But okay. generally, I'm doing both. A lot of the time, like most of the mixes that I'm I'm working on, I'm also mastering. Um, okay. I'd say 99% of the records that I mix, I also master. Cool. Um, and there's just there's also like a steady stream of mastering work that comes through as well. Now, I don't produce a lot of records anymore. Um, I might do like one a year or something. Okay. Sometimes you just stumble on an artist that maybe a label hasn't jumped on yet and you just think, you know what? I want to get involved yeah, in this from yeah, ground yeah. up. Um, so not very often, but um, now and again, I'll, I'll get involved in that. Okay. But apart, otherwise, it's um, I, I've become like a finisher of records, really. Yeah, I was going to say, that must be quite cool that you can, you know, someone can bring a mix to you and then you can then, from that point, see it all the way through to to the end, which is... Um, yeah. Cool, yeah and you know a lot of a lot of the projects particularly that come in from the majors for, for some reason i've become that person that like fixes projects that have lost their way a bit okay so um that involves a lot of additional production yes um, a lot of the time sometimes like re-records more vocals things like that yeah so yeah 
sometimes artists will just come in and, and just finish off something that didn't go quite to plan somewhere else or um and yeah and and the, and the beauty of being able to finish stuff to literally to the mastering stage is that i can sort of do like all in deals with labels so there's no variables so i can take a project on and go you know what i will deliver it for your pot of money that you have yes and uh you will have a finished record ready for distribution yeah with no shocking bills at the end of it, you know <laughs> so it's allowed me to do that whereas a lot of the time you you know labels get stung at the last hurdle with like a huge mastering bill or uh-huh. something um yeah it's a and bit of transparency been, like, really isn't it for the for yeah the client, and i think I that yeah and i think that's fair you know i i always you know if you if, you, if i had someone come in to paint my decorate my house I, i'd i'd probably want uh, to know exactly what's going to cost yeah rather than just go oh i'll pay you x amount per day and yeah, for sure. A bit of an unknown, you know. So I just like that approach. I like the way, I, and labels love that because they don't, you know. It makes their life it. easier, doesn't it? I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Now I'm looking at um, some of your uh, credits, Mike. Um, you've worked with Professor Green. Obviously, we mentioned Lewis Capaldi, uh, mm-hmm. Camel Fat, J.P. Cooper, Foles, um, Elvis Costello, Noisettes, Tinchy Strider. It's quite an eclectic mix there. <laughs> it's quite a wide net when, when I read it yeah it's um, yeah. have you got any I mean it's a bit of a loaded question and I do apologise but have you got any um, particular favourites or like memorable moments that you've you know from some of these that you've worked with over the years Um, I mean it, it's not a co- it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that, that, that it's such a wide net of genres I actually go out of my way to, to keep that happening yes I was going to ask that actually because um, it's, it's important not just, to kind of like, well for me it is I mean I said like you know the way we grew up we were listening to so much music it's like I don't particularly want to just start mixing one genre of yeah, music because yeah, yeah. I think I'd miss some other things sure. um, the, the downside to that is that sometimes I'm not the first name that springs to mind for an A&R when okay, they yeah. you know they might go and sign like say, say they go and sign like a drill artist or something even though I'm mixing some drill records, I probably won't be the first person to think of because there's a, there's like two or three people in the UK that like, are mixing. You're not like just the that. drill man, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's the downside of it. The upside of it is because the net's so much wider, you're getting stuff coming in from all angles. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's much more doable. And you know, I don't think I'd have it any other way because it's it's amazing to just go from say a Lewis Capaldi record to camel fat and then jump to like krs1 or something yeah, which yeah. that's what music for me is about you know just variety and yeah absolutely yeah but yeah, i yeah. tell you you know in terms of like records that have stood out as being uh, exciting mm. uh, are probably the ones where an artist will get in touch that i'm already a fan of do you know what i mean yeah and that's pretty cool that must be pretty cool it's, yeah. that's what make they're the moments where you think you know what all that hard work that at Par Street or those long hours, this is what I did this for, yes, to be able absolutely. to be involved in the creative process that I love, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, so, it must be pretty cool to be, like, instrumental in creating a record for someone who you are a fan of and you, like, appreciate the music because then you're just... You're, you're in the music then. It's pretty cool, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, it doesn't always happen like that, obviously, you know. And um, I think the records that are, I think you've got to be quite honest with yourself about whether you're the right person for a particular job mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Because, like I was saying before, if, you, if you've, to keep that quality control up, you've got to 
you've got to be feeling what you're doing musically. I, yes. I don't think, you know, if, if you, if you, if I'm trying to mix a record that I don't particularly like, I don't think it's going to have a, I don't think it's going to be magical at the end. So they're the type of projects that I probably wouldn't, would, would swerve. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's important to make sure that you're feeling what you're doing. Otherwise, you know, you know, you don't want to put your name to something that you're not really feeling. Yes. And I think it shows as well in the final thing, even though it might be like a subliminal thing. When you when you love something and you, and it's moving you musically, you uh, there's a bit of magic happens there. Definitely, definitely. I think yeah, pouring your heart and soul into something that yeah. kind of you know it, it comes through, doesn't it? It's the passion. It does. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, man. Hard to quantify, but it definitely does. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And um, I'm just looking at um. I was just, you know, doing a little bit of reading around like yourself and what you've, you know, what you've been up to, um, and I know your mixes um, have kind of featured on projects with some other big mix engineers like Mark Trent, uh, Mark Stent, Mike Spark, Spike Stent, Tom Elmhurst, yeah. Alan Mulder. Um, tell us about that sort of collaboration you've you've got going on there, Mike. So the, I mean, I guess, I guess though, I mean, they're the, you know, these guys are like the heavyweights of of the mix worlds, really, and these are the guys that. I was looking up to as I was trying to get sure. into that realm. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, I've spent the last sort of 10 years chipping away, trying to, trying to sort of infiltrate the pack of the heavyweight mixers, <laughs> let's so to speak. Um, and that might be sometimes like, you know, now and again, labels do these like Pepsi challenges where they might get a couple of people to mix a record and then they'll, they'll sort of pick one mm-hmm. in the pack. And now and again, I'll get, I'll, my mix will get chosen over one of the heavyweights or, you know, I might get a record, one of the tracks on an album sitting next to one of Spike's tracks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's always what I've been striving to do is just to be, um, to be in, in the pot, you know, to, to, to be in, uh, in that realm. And, you know, obviously people like Spike have been doing it a lot longer than me and mm. there are many, many hits. So I think it, it's just, I think it just validates what you're doing really when yeah, yeah. you can, you can have your work sitting next to these guys. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. If we talk a little bit about moving on slightly to talk about um, the kind of creative and, and technical side of things. Um, what's your general sort of creative process, Mike? I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm guessing it depends, you know, it varies depending on what kind of project you're working on. Um, yeah. But do you have a particular kind of starting point? And, and yeah, could you just sort of like talk us through how you, you know, go about um, kind of your mix process and, and all that kind of stuff? You know what? I think the key to all of this is communication. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, as you said, like every project's going to be different and it's not, you can't have a, one approach for everything. Um, but the, I what I tend to find is that the only time when things go wrong is when people stop talking. Um, yes. so I always try and, uh, try and approach things to like get open conversation moving, you know, tap into artists and what they're after, what their vision is, mm-hmm. what their reference points are. Um, just so that like when I actually boot the session up and I start mixing, we're on the same page. I know what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and I can just, press play and, and go with that vision. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't do that, like if you don't talk about it and you don't really know what, 
what that person wants, what the label wants, what the artist wants, the chances of me delivering something that they love is is minimal. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's the key to it, I think. It's just like get the conversation open and let's work out what people are trying to do and then I can help them with that. And, that you know, all of these records, particularly like most of my favourite records that I've ever been involved with have been like team efforts, you know? Yeah. yeah, Where yeah. There's, a, there's a team of people all talking, all like opening their, their, their thoughts about what they want and it go everything always goes smoothly when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the key to it is communication. And you know, sometimes labels send you stuff to mix, and they just send you the multi track, and they're like, "I don't know who's produced it." You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they don't even know who the artist is. You know, mm-hmm. they're just like, "Can you do a mix of this?" I I don't like that. Like I I will go straight back to the label and I'll say, "Well, who's put this together? Can you hook us up? Yeah. Let's have a chat about it." Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that context, obviously, yeah. Yeah, and and you know that you know there's obviously politics involved sometimes. Like you know, sometimes labels want to try something without spooking the artist, and that's fine as yeah, well. Yeah. But whenever there's everyone's happy to open the conversation, I'm always up for that. Um, and I think, um, as I say, things very rarely go wrong when that when we're talking. When this, yeah, nice open um, conversation. And then, and then in terms of like what once I know what we're doing and I'm getting involved in the mix. It's really just a case of like feeling it out in terms of what the, uh, you know, what are the key elements of the song? Where's the hook? Mm-hmm. Um, focused on the the key elements of the track and get them working together. Whether it's um, and then don't worry about yeah yeah because yeah. people get freaked out when you get sent like two hundred tracks in a multi track yeah yeah and it's like really it's not it's not as complicated as people make it. I think if you listen to like any hit record on radio one, the chances are that that record will be driven by like two or three things. Yes. And it'll be, you know, it'll be the vocal, the, the probably the rhythm section and a hook. So, and that, and the rest of it's more just like fairy dust really to me, mm-hmm. like just to embellish and support what's there. So my first approach is like, okay, where are those three things? Where's the hook? And like, just work on that, get that working. And then the rest of it can just sit around it, you know? Um, yes, and that tends to keep my head clear instead of worrying about a massive tracks on the yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Focus on like the kind of three core elements, and then and yeah. then uh, fill it in. You know, build it around that. And, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It, uh, simplifies things a little bit, uh, I guess. Maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, particularly like most of the records that I'm working on are, are, are all vocal led. So yes, really, I tend to that's usually where I tend to start. Okay. It's like, just like, let's just get the, the vocal where it should be, get the, like drag as much emotion out of the vocal as possible. Yeah. Sit it sonically and then build everything around that. Okay. What's your studio set up like, Mike? Cause I, I imagine over the years you've maybe picked up coming from that, that era, you know, picked up bits and pieces of kit um, yeah. or maybe you're doing everything in the box i, I don't know what's so your, it's, it's, yeah it's still very much a hybrid setup so okay um we've got a big big pro tools rig with, with lots of tools inside the computer but still a fair bit of outboard like mo- most of the outboard gear is is all stuff for like character yeah. so that that tends to be the way i'd say most people work now is that you know get the best out of the outboard with the character and the tone and mm-hmm. and then use the tools in the computer for more like surgical digital um, tweaks yeah 
yeah. um, I'd say like more like tools to fix things rather than to embellish. Although yes. saying that, there's some great emulation plugins now, isn't there as well? There is and indeed, yeah. Th- there's just some, there's some bits of outboard that I just don't think you can do in the computer yet. I mean, it's it's getting there, but sometimes what might take me like 10, 20 minutes in the computer, I can do in like 10 seconds just by patching. Yeah, it's interesting. Piece of outboard. Yeah. No, it's interesting so, you say that because there's there's some you know producers and mixers out there who would who would say the opposite. Do you know what I mean? It's just sort yeah. of what your I guess it's all personal preference, isn't it? Really, but well, it's it's not that you can. Do, I mean, you can easily mix records in the box now. That's not. Yeah, I, don't, I think yeah. that debate is 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 sailed. You know, but um, it it might just be a bit of just because I've come from that background, I sort of know yeah. that sound that I'm seeking and, and how easy it is to get mm-hmm. with, with certain bits of kit. Um, and partly just because I just don't think the plugins are, are there just yet with certain, what certain emulations. Yes. Yeah. No, um, fair enough. Have you got any um, kind of go-to bits and pieces of gear that you find yourself using, you know, like all the time across your mixes or, you know, I mean, obviously you've got yeah, your, your studio um, set up, but yeah, what's it? What's I mean, it a lot of, I, I mean, a lot of the outboard gear that when I'm mixing, most of the outboard is on the mix bus. Yes. So there's not, there's not much outboard on inserts, particularly on the multi-track, um, unless there's something there that just needs a bit of character and I'll probably bounce that back in anyway. Mm-hmm. So the stuff, the outboard that's running live is, is mainly on the mix bus and it's stuff. Um, uh, it depends because it, as I say, like I don't think you can have one, but one chain for for everything. Yeah. And um, there's bits. I tell you what, I use all the time. I've got um, a DW fan. Um, my it's a dual mic amp, but it's got a conversion to make it into like a line amp. Okay. So I use that across my mix bus. Probably, I'd I'd say when I'm mixing, probably all the time. Really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I. You know, all it's doing is it, it's it, it's literally just adding a bit of tone and character and distortion mm-hmm. into. But for whatever reason, I just cannot do that with any other box or any other plugin. Yeah. So that that that's a, a go-to on most sessions. Yeah, cool. Um, I don't tend to use a lot of analog compression. Uh, I use a lot of analog compressors, but yeah, not compressing if that makes sense. Okay. And um, ju- again, just for character and and tone. Yeah. Stuff like the SSL. Um, G bus, yeah, um, yep. the Manly Vary move stuff like that. Okay, uh, the Avalon seven four seven. Yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, but most of the time you won't see the meters moving. Really, it'll yeah. just be for tone. It'll just be uh, sit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, off the call, we spoke a little bit about briefly touched on um, Oak Sound plugins, and I know you're mm-hmm. a user of their stuff. I mean, they've they've become massively popular um yeah. since they yeah. since they come out a few years ago they've only got two plugins but they are um quite unique in what they do i think um obviously they're yeah. not they're not emulations like we've been been talking about soothe is um it's i mean how long how, how long have you been using how you know been familiar with with their stuff like um well the soothe the soothe when the soothe plugin um came out it took about a week before everyone was talking about it mm. like um like we i'm on like a, a little facebook group with all the uk producers um and it, the whole 
group lit up with this this plugin everyone was like oh my god you've got to try this it's mm. insane mm. um so it wasn't long before i was onto it straight away pretty much okay. um and i tell you what i tell you what's so amazing about uh, they basically just ticked a huge box that was like a problem since everyone's been mixing in the yeah, box yeah. and the reason why i think is that you know if you compare digital audio to say recording on a tape machine you know digital audio is just so unforgiving it's like everything you put into it you get the exact same thing back mm-hmm. um obviously the converters will make a slight difference but generally you, it's not sort of um it's not saturating it, yeah. it's not embellishing in any way it's just exactly the same thing that when you press play play it back yeah yeah now what tends to happen i think is because once you start layering um multi-track with sort of harsh sounding content and you know i think a lot of these cheap condenser mics are to blame for this that the the market exploded didn't it like Mm -hmm. 10 years Mm -hmm. ago with all these like cheap condensers that are all hyped in the high mids and stuff like that so you start layering, say, like a bunch of backing vocals or something like that, it becomes very harsh. Yes. Um, now, if you were recording to tape, you probably wouldn't be such an issue. But with digital, it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And people have tried to do, to, to write plugins that de-harshes and, and, and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sonox did a really good job with um, the Super SA, but that was a good while ago. Mm. Um. But when Soothe came out, it was like they have completely nailed it. It's like this is exactly what we need to counter this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you you don't really even need to set it up. Like the um, I mean, there's it's very flexible with what you can do with it. But and usually, you just throw it on, a couple of tweaks with the depth and the and the the bandwidth or whatever, and you're good to go and move on. Yes. And it just tames all of this horrible digital. Yeah harshness that basically most multi-track sessions suffer from now yeah it's notches out um, little frequencies yeah like and peaking and, and, yeah. and actually more most importantly as well is that it doesn't it still sounds amazing you know you have to mm. when i'm using it for mastering you still have to use it in its like full full resolution so ultra times four or whatever yes but it sounds amazing as well, which you know, a lot of these these plugins before Soothe, you couldn't really use them in a mastering context because they'd just be too intrusive. So would um, you would you just whack it across your whole master bus then? In that in that case, yeah. Or, if you yeah. so if you if you were to look at one of my mix sessions, you'll find Soothe on a lot of the multi track files okay. and um and the mix bus as well. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. It's it's probably. It, actually, it's not. It's not probably. It's definitely the the, the best plugin that has uh, that I've seen come out. And you know, as I say, these emulation plugins of outboard is all well and good if you haven't got the outboard gear. But if you've got the outboard gear, then they're, they're not really as relevant. But where yeah, plugins yeah. for me really come into play is that it's like stuff that you can't do out of the box. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's definitely a a bit of a game changer. I think um, total game changer. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 that's cool yeah. man that's cool um i think uh i think that's most of the things i wanted to chat to you about mike what have you got coming up um later this year you mentioned a couple of things that uh are in the works um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah what's uh what's sort of on the agenda for you in the in the sort of near future what have you got coming up so i think what um i say there's there's two things in particular that i'm just 
finishing that I, I, I can't really talk about, but are really exciting. Um, one UK thing, one from the States. Um, but I'm sure uh, as soon as they, I can talk about them, they'll be up on the website. Um, the, the other thing that I've got potentially planned this year is that I might be building another room because okay. what's happening for me is that uh, there's, there's almost like too much mastering work and it's dragging me away a little bit from the mix projects. So I'm thinking, I've been thinking about doing this for a while and I think we're probably going to build another room and I'm going to bring another master and engineer in. Okay. Um, big, so yeah. it's no mean feat that it's going to be yeah. um, a bit, bit of a challenge. And we're also uh, going to go fully Atmos as well this year. Nice. Okay. Um, Is that something you're, got- you've been looking to do for a little while then? Because obviously everything, I know everything's kind of, moving that way obviously yeah i mean the atmos thing um i was having conversations with dolby a while ago about this and and um we were the, the uh, they've been up here and the, the room's all ready to go all measured up and everything it's just we literally haven't had any downtime to, yeah. Do, yeah. to do it um so it's just the case of we just need to pull the trigger in the summer really and get that done um that's pretty exciting though yeah. yeah, it is. I mean, it's 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 still an unknown, Dolby, isn't it, really, in terms of the whether bit, Atmos yeah. is going to, and Spatial is going to take off. Mm. But, um, and like a lot of things, I've heard it done really well and I've heard it done fairly awfully <laughs> as well. Yes. So, yes. So it'd be nice to do, to do some really, you know, beautiful surround stuff. Um, and just have your own take on it, I guess. Like once you start sort of experimenting with this stuff, you can kind of make your own mind up about, you know, whether you want to do more of it or, you know, yeah. whatever. whatever yeah. I mean, I think that there's, uh, it's, it's, a, I think uh, like any new, uh, not that Atmos is, is new, it's been around for a long time, but let's say if we're talking about the music industry, it's, it's new in the music industry. Um, I think with any new technology that comes through, people have to sort of find their way with it and work out, what to do with it, whether to be extreme, whether to be tame yeah, with it. Yeah. And I think a lot of that depends on the actual project because some mixes are some, some Atmos mixes that I've heard are, are too busy and too distracting. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of lose the essence of the song sometimes. Um, so it's a, it's a balance, isn't it? Of For sure. Yeah. Trying to keep it in keeping with the stereo, but, mm-hmm. but not too crazy. Um, so that's exciting anyway, to just explore that really. And just, um, you know, see if we can create some some magic with that. Yeah, that's that's wicked, mate. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, well, yeah, I mean, best of luck with everything you've got going on at the moment, Mike. Obviously, it uh, yeah, sounds like there's a lot. Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot going on, and hopefully, next time we catch up, we'll be able to uh, to to talk about more of this stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, for on. sure. I'll that'd be, updates, that'd be yeah. cool. Um, I'm gonna. I think that's a nice place for us to to wrap it up. So, for the purposes of the podcast, we'll say our goodbyes now. And okay, um, hopefully we'll yeah. catch up very soon. It's been a pleasure. It's been a total pleasure. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Mike. Take care. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.